Welcome to A Friend of Mine, a series of conversations with some incredible and inspiring women in business from regional and rural Australia. I'm Kimberly Finesse, your host and the founder and editor of Oak Magazine, and I cannot wait to introduce you to some amazing female entrepreneurs who will share with you their experience and knowledge of what it takes to start, grow and scale a successful business. So let me introduce you to a friend of mine. Artist and maker Sarah Ryan puts the perfect blend of nostalgia and vintage charm into Quandiella Candle Co. Rather than be stressed by burning the business candle at both ends, she's created a way of working to suit her lifestyle and her brain. Sarah's handcrafted soy candles hit the market over a decade ago. It's a one-person show run on the family farm by the artist and former secondary art school teacher. Sarah stays interested in the candles because they offer an evolving creative project. There's always a new product range, designs to tweak and scents to conjure. In this episode, we discuss the success of Sarah's Christmas candle sales, collaborating with a photographer for an art exhibition, the challenges of being a businesswoman, as well as Sarah's journey and experience of being diagnosed as neurodivergent. Meet my friend Sarah from Quandiella Candle Co. Hello, Sarah, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Kimberly. How are you? I'm really good. Uh, we are doing this interview in 2024, a new year. You're my first podcast interview, actually. So, yeah, happy new year. Happy new year to you, too. It's very exciting to be the first. Now, many people set resolutions. Uh, they set goals or maybe what is more of a trend at the moment is a word for the year. Is that something that you do? Not really. I used to think it was important to have a resolution, but I'd never stick to them. I'd forget what it was. And yeah, I just try to look ahead and go, okay, let's just ease our way into the year and not be too hard on ourselves. <laughs> it's pretty much <laughs> what I say every year. <laughs> do you know what? I was very similar. I used to do the word of the year. Uh, or maybe, you know, set maybe a goal, like I want to achieve this this year, uh, but probably in the last maybe two or three, if not four, I think probably COVID actually before that. Yeah, I haven't. It's just not something that I'm interested in anymore. And again, very similar to you. Let's take it as it is and and I suppose set that goals at, at shorter terms, you know, you yeah. know, what do I want to achieve in the next couple of months versus, you know, the, the year. So I think so. Yeah, I try not to put too much pressure on myself because then you feel like you're not achieving what you should be. And I just go, okay, well, let's, what are we doing this week? If we can tick one thing, one or two things off, that'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like that. Do you look back though at last year and, you know, how you've progressed, uh, look at any achievements, data, sales, all of that? Yeah, I do. I'm not one to really go into my analytics or anything like that, but I've, feel that I had a probably a really good year last year. I didn't really do anything that much different. I probably just tried to focus on doing the Christmas candle well, I suppose, and just to hone my stockers to the ones that I wanted to keep for the business and that were working well for me without making myself too stressed, even though you still feel stressed. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the Christmas candle, what worked better this year? What did you do different? Well, I increased the number that I make. I normally only make 300 a year and this year I did 450 because some clever person said, why don't you just make more each year because everyone wants them. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got to think about where to store everything and 
and how to get it all done but it came together in the end and that was good so doing a few more was well worth it and uh, I mean it was accidental but I did an interview and that really helped boost you know sales and got me out there a bit so there was a bit of exposure online and yeah so that really helped so that really wasn't my doing. How did that come about then? Just a ABC Central West journalist gave me a call. He was passing through Quandiella. He'd never been here. And he said, oh, I just, you popped up when I Googled it. So I thought I'd pop in and have a chat if that was all right. And I said, yeah, okay. So he popped in and had a bit of a talk and took a couple of photos. And he said, oh, it might just be a two-minute uh, snippet that we're going to put on the radio on the hour. It could be a story online. Anyway, it ended up going on everything. And... I was getting all these because it was a few weeks after I did the interview and then I started getting all these new followers and orders started coming in and I thought, what's going on? I haven't done anything different. (laughs) And then some friends started sending me the article that came up on the ABC National on their socials and, um, yeah, a lot of people saw it. So I had a lot of uh, stockist inquiries and just, um, yeah, people reaching out who knew Quandi or just people who'd never heard of me and were wanting to buy online and, So that was uh, a really lovely little boost. Oh, that is so good to hear. That just sounds like the perfect dream job to me is just to be able to drive around rural areas in my van uh, and just stop and interview people. I mean, this is all about you, Sarah, but there is a a project that I have just sitting there that I really want to get off the ground. You should. You've got the van. I do. I have the van, but even just how to monetize it, it's the the hardest thing to do, isn't it? But um, yeah, it's just called She Makes News. It's just all about women from rural and regional Australia and what's happening so that you could tune in to this, I mean, it'd great have a radio station, but just somewhere for us all to come and hear that content would be incredible. As it's as it's happening too, because it, it'd be really fresh and, you know, and every time you stopped and interviewed someone, you could say, okay, you know, what else is going on in the, around here? Or do you know someone who lives nearby who's doing something? And then you drive on to the next person and it kind of, you know, it's like from person to person by word of mouth, but it's also being recorded. It'd be so cool. Yeah. And that is literally how Oak started as well. You interview one person and women are so good at this. They'd say, have you heard about my friend, such and such, who is doing these amazing things? And then suddenly you have another story and, you know, just that play it forward aspect, which I absolutely love. Yeah. Well, you do that in your podcast too, when you ask, tell us about your friend. Tell us about a friend of yours, which we will get to. I'm sure you have plenty that help you. Which is actually a really great segue. I know we're still on that Christmas candle, but uh, just in terms of, did you collaborate with anyone else to market that candle? Uh, yes, I have a friend, Kate Barclay, who took the photos of my Christmas candle this year. Normally I do a really terrible job with my phone and just chuck it on the socials and put it on the website and it's I'm just not organised. But this year I was a little bit more organised and I had been talking to Kate and she just takes the most amazing photos. And she was like, yeah, I'll come and give you a hand. So she came over and uh, took the beautiful photos of the Christmas candle and they were just so great to put them up on the feed and it looked really nice on Instagram and on the website. And then that evolved into the two of us chatting about, you know, the old house and the old sheds at the back of my place. And she had a look through and it was right up her alley of, things that she collects and photographs. And then we started talking about having an exhibition together, which is going to happen this year. So we are uh, collaborating on a 
yeah, an art show together. So she'll do photos. I'm doing my collage work and mixed media work. It is so exciting to hear the magic that happens when you can get together with another creative, especially for you. You live in Quandiella, which is a population of 150, isn't it? Yeah. So it's it's not a big community that you're able to tap into at home as such. No, it's not. And there's, you know, there's the odd, yeah, creative person around, but it, sometimes you do feel a little bit isolated because it is, it's a rural farming community and, you know, a lot of the people are just, yeah, they're just doing their farming thing. And, you know, I had been used to living in Sydney, in, in inner city Sydney, when I was at art school and just surrounded by, you know, the people you can bounce off and collaborate with all the time. And when I came here, I was like, oh my goodness, this, how am I going to find these people? And yeah, actually Kate was, when she used to have a shop in Canandra, she was one of the first, actually, I think she was my very first stockist. She was, and she was so nice. And she helped me with wholesale prices and, you know, she's got a real good business head. And yeah, we just found that we really clicked and we have always stayed in touch and it's really nice to be able to do that creative stuff together that, um, yeah, it is hard to find the other creatives to work with. Mm. Do you have a little group though, Sarah, that you tap into? I mean, what we probably haven't said is that you and I actually met at this wonderful event that I will continue to rave about forever. Uh, that was in Grenfell at the Collective. Obviously, Belinda is the mastermind behind that. And, you know, I drove eight hours. Most of you and here I was complaining about that, but most of you actually drove between sort of two and three hours uh, to come together because we need more of these types of events in rural areas. Was that incredible too, to be able to get out of your your home studio as such and meet these different types of people and, and make some connections and, and learn that what's hard for you is actually hard for someone else as well. Yeah, I thought it was such a brilliant idea of Belinda's to do that. And I was, I still am amazed that you came all that way. I couldn't believe that you you came all the way to Grenfell. I was like, why is she coming all this way? Well, <laughs> that is because I didn't, I got my G's mixed up. I think I thought it was Griffith or somewhere else. And I thought, oh, yeah, look, it's three and a half, four hours. I normally go to Mildura, which is five. So, oh you know, I'm uh, that's normal for me. So I'm like, yep, that's not a problem. And then, oh. yeah, seven hours, eight hours later. <laughs> oh but honestly, goodness. I would make that trip again. And if you are coming from Bendigo or anywhere sort of central Vic, there are so many perfect spots to stop. Okay, you've got Aubrey Wodonga uh, and then you've got Wagga and you just sort of break up the drive. That's, yeah, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, I don't mind doing long hours in the car. I do a lot of it, the kids away at school and stuff. So um, if you're going to, yeah, go to something that's so good like the event in Grenfell, like uh, in such a beautiful space too, you know, and it was affordable too. Like sometimes those sort of big events or not even a big event, but just some events, they can be a bit, um out of your price range sometimes just you know I feel like well we're all just trying to keep our businesses afloat and we want to work you know talk to people in person about these ideas and what struggles have you had and if you can't afford to get to those it kind of defeats the purpose of it I think so it was really lovely to go to that and just have that nice number 
And all those people, I think like I knew two or three of them, all those other people I'd never met and then started following them on Instagram. It was just really lovely to, you know, grow that little circle of supporting one another. It was really good. Yeah, there are so many of them in this issue of Oak. Uh, our front cover is what came from Sky, from Mackenzie Edit. Like if I hadn't have driven that way, a lot of what is in issue 13 wouldn't have happened. So for me, even if I was to look at it from a business perspective and financially and, and all of that side of it, it was worth it. But then for me, it's always, what did I get personally? And it's friendships, it's connections, you know, it, it's getting to talk to people like you who are creating amazing things in the bush. Let's go back a little bit, if we could, because you haven't always been a candle maker. You've been a secondary school teacher as well as perfume girl at David Jones counter in the city. <laughs> Do you want to take me back to your childhood and just give us some little highlights of, of what's made you, you? I grew up here actually in Quandiella, just on the other side of the village on a farm. And my father was, he had you know, sheep and grew crops and things. And my mum was a city girl. And I think she just had some wonderful creative, you know, home making ideas and stuff. And they were real antique collectors. They, they, they still are. They love old bits and pieces and were always dragged around antique sales and clearing sales and standing around all day waiting for mum and dad to bid on some old brown thing that we used to always go, oh God, mum and dad are buying another brown thing. But um, it sort of instilled that love of good craftsmanship and, you know, good design and just, you know, how lovely things were that were made, you know, by hand in the old days. And that's probably where I get my love of old timey stuff. Yeah, so I grew up there and amongst all the old stuff and then I went away to school and I had always loved art and creative things and was always making something. So... When I went away to school, I just wanted to do art. That's all I wanted to do. I had a wonderful art teacher at school and she encouraged me to look into going to art school. And when I told mum and dad, I think they were a bit concerned because they thought, oh, art school, oh dear, <laughs> where's this going to go? And so uh, in their infinite wisdom said, look, at that school where you want to go, the College of Fine Arts, there is an, a Bachelor of Art Education degree which is specifically run at that school to get a teaching degree, but it's really focused on visual arts. So I could do all the subjects I wanted to do, painting, drawing, printmaking, and also do education subjects alongside that, even though I didn't like the education subjects very much because I found them a bit boring and I still wanted to make things. I still got my degree there and I just worked part-time at all these uh, mad jobs because, you know, I never had any money. So from uni, where have you stepped into then? Did you go into your first job at a school or what was that first big career job? I didn't really want to do teaching after I got my degree. I didn't want to drop out and not finish it because I just, I like to finish what I start. So I actually came home after a couple of years because I was just hanging around in Sydney doing odd jobs and you know, doing a bit of art and exhibiting with some friends in group shows. Anyway, I came home to save some money and I started doing some casual work. So I was just doing casual teaching at the little local school and a couple of high schools around the place. So I never really had the full career. I just did some, you know, temp positions, filled in 
I didn't want to be full time. I just, it didn't really work very well for me. I just couldn't seem to get the grasp of uh, all the paperwork. I loved being in front of a classroom and teaching people how to, you know, how to draw something or how to, how to make something out of clay or, and I used to get really excited and, you know, like, go, oh, you should do this. Oh, this would be such a great idea, which I still do now with my son who's doing art for his HSC and he tells me to leave him alone. But, um, yeah, I, that was the thing I liked was just talking about art and going, oh, I've got an artist for you that you'd really like. This, oh, if you like that sort of style, you should check this person out. Do you love the idea of taking the hard work out of shopping, knowing that someone else has curated for you endless apparel and homewares options that are high quality, often handmade and always beautiful? At Vivian Kate, the focus is on natural fibres and a timeless earthy style. You'll find high quality clothing in classic styles, unique homewares such as cow hides and handmade ceramics, gorgeous aromatherapy based skin and body products and so much more. Personally, I love the selection of jewellery. Karen from Vivian Kate is all about connection and understanding what you need, and she offers a personal styling service by appointment. Karen loves to support other regional women in business and has a wide network of talented friends from all over the country, whose work she stocks in store in the beautiful regional town of Yakandanda in northeast Victoria. The Vivian Kate website mirrors the charm of the bricks and mortar store, ensuring you can access the same carefully selected items with just a click. Find out more by visiting www.viviankate.com or check out our show notes for links. What I absolutely loved about your story, which we feature in issue 13, is the photo gallery that came through with it. Now, that is from Kate Barclay, who is an incredible photographer. Her style obviously fits the vintage style of your product. How did you come across candles? What was that moment that you saw a candle and thought, yeah, that's a business there? I didn't sort of go into it wanting to have a business of any sort, let alone a candle business. I just, you know, if someone had said, hey, why don't you start a candle business? I would have thought you're mad because that feels like it's a flooded market. But I went to a little market in Quandiella, I think it was, and I there was a woman there, woman there selling candles. This was, probably was the beginning of like people doing candles at home and that. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. And I had a bit of a sniff of them and went, oh, they're actually quite nice. And I love fragrances. And, um, yeah, I was a perfume girl once upon a time and had learned about fragrances and fragrance notes and stuff. And I thought, oh, that'd be kind of cool. I'd play with some nice smells and have some candles for my house if I got into this and some to give to friends or even just to sell it at, you know, because I think my kids were in preschool then, primary school and preschool, yeah. And I was um, part of the preschool pansy and we used to have this market every year so I thought oh well that'd be good we could sell them at the market but anyway I was only going to make a few and I started ordering uh, some materials in because I googled it and it looked pretty easy to order it in and it wasn't that expensive for small amounts and I had a bit of a go at home and went oh that's kind of cool and I thought I could make a candle that looks pretty cool that uh, you know that I would I would like on my shelf in in amongst all my old-timey tins and jars and bits and pieces so I ordered in a tea tin, I think it was, and I got my friend Dan, who is Safety Pin Designs in Newcastle, and he was really helpful because he said, I can make you a label that looks like an old-timey thing. So he came up with this great label and he said, type the different fragrances on the side so you don't have to keep printing a different 
label for every fragrance. If you want to change it, you can just type it in. I'll just leave a gap on the side. I started doing that and they just were really popular and all my friends were starting to buy them around the school and the preschool and, and you know, my mum's friends and things. So I thought uh, maybe I should just pop into a shop and there was this lovely shop in Canandra that Kate Barclay, the photographer, was running at the time and she saw my candle and went, yes, I want them. I want them in the shop. So I went, oh, okay. So she taught me all about it and that's how it started. After that, more people saw them and started contacting me and saying, I want them in my shop as well. So I didn't really even have to go looking for stock as much. It just People were just contacted me and wanted to have them. So I was very fortunate that it sort of grew on its own. Mm. Now, in terms of the actual label, I mean, just the whole look of your candle, Sarah, is so unique and obviously really ties back into your love of, of vintage. You mentioned using a typewriter to type those labels. Now, you've earlier mentioned that you've done 450 Christmas candles. Like, you're not sitting there typing that amount, are you? Because that must be just an absolute beast. Uh, well, not for the Christmas candle. It's a printed label every year, but every other candle, and there's hundreds or thousands of those that go through my typewriter. I've got five typewriters, and there's a couple in the tip too that died. And because it's not easy to get typewriters anymore, people don't really use them. No, they're an absolute vintage find. I don't know what you're going to do when those ones die and you, you need to replace them. It's sort of not like tech, is it? No, and I think a lot of people who have them have, you know, chucked them or they've broken or whatever. I mean, you can still buy typewriter ribbon, which, thank God, you can still do that. If you do a little bit of a search on eBay, you can find it. I'm using a very, very old one at the moment. You know, it chews up the labels occasionally or smudges stuff all over it. And, yeah, it's it's a slow, slow process. And I didn't plan that. I was going to be making so many candles in the beginning that would need to be hand typed. But anyway, here we are. It really does just take that whole handmade to the next level. Like I wonder if people recognise how much work and effort actually goes into hand typing those labels. And do you factor that into, I suppose, the cost? Because there's there's definitely ways of doing the candles cheaper, isn't there? Yeah, Absolutely. I'm not big on the mass production and I do like that mark of the maker. I suppose that's the artist in me, I guess, that, without trying to sound too wanky. But I like being able to see that someone has actually had a hand in that thing that they've made. And I've always liked the handmade product. Uh, so I suppose if you've got a tin with a label on it and it's a candle and everywhere you go you see candles, I just wanted to have that little bit that shows that I actually made your candle. I've done something to your individual and I haven't sent it away to a factory to be poured by a machine and then just sent it back and stuck a sticker on it. I just wanted it to, yeah, feel like it came from me and smaller numbers as well. So I don't have thousands and thousands of candles in a warehouse. It's always just doing what's ordered and trying to keep a few available for the website but yeah I, I don't mind that I, I don't want it to be enormous I don't I like just having that little say in each little candle yeah it's beautiful in terms of being a businesswoman how have you learnt to be one has there been a course that you've done are there been people that you surrounded yourself with has it come naturally 
Uh, I'm the most unbusinesslike person ever. <laughs> I had no idea what anything, how anything worked in business because it did not interest me at all. I just thought, oh my God, that would be the worst. Imagine having to work out how to do GST or, oh, you know. So <laughs> I've had to learn everything on the go. My cousin, Rachel, she's the creator of Red Tractor Designs from Mudgee and she has been really good. She's taught me, you know, how to, you know, deal with stockists and how to uh, make supplying your product a little, little bit more streamlined and to, to just sort of make your rules and stick to it. Try not to please everybody because they want two of that and three of that, but I don't like that and I want one of those. She's like, no, no, you just say this is what is on offer and that's available for you to purchase if you would like, which I often don't do. <laughs> I know I should. <laughs> but yeah. Is that the people pleaser in you? Yes, probably. I hate saying no to people. That actually, when you ask me about New Year's resolutions, I'm going to work on saying no to people more. <laughs> I need to do that definitely. <laughs> We've talked about stockist a couple of times and it- you know what? It's actually a really interesting thing. I think the latest issue of Oaks come out. So stockists and wholesale orders is a really big thing at the moment for me. It's not easy. It's a question that actually comes up in a couple of podcasts as well. How do I get in touch with a stockist? What do I supply? What's the rate of discounts? I mean, it'd be great to bring a stockist and a supplier together and and try and figure out how much are you looking from us as a supplier? Because postage is a killer at the moment. Um, I don't know about you, but I feel like I have to give free postage. And then I'm not sure in terms of how much I discount that product as well. And then I'm just terrified that that product won't turn up. And not that I wouldn't with any other singular order, but that that product wouldn't turn up 100% perfect because it has to be sold on. And I say that because, uh, yeah, there's been instances where Australia Post have not handled with care. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that is a problem. Um, I don't offer free postage only because it's such a big, bulky, heavy item. And especially with uh, retailers, they might be ordering different types of things in different um, volumes. Um, I generally don't have like a minimum order I sort of do encourage stockers to just try a small a small batch to begin with just to see if it works for them in their shop yeah I don't mind that but um yeah I just have to say look if you're ordering $600 order I still have to charge you postage which might be you know $80 for two big boxes you know could be a lot but no one has ever nobody's ever balked at it so I think they understand that's how things roll these days Yeah. Cost of small business. I mean, it is getting harder and harder. For you, Sarah, is there ever a moment that you've thought this is getting too hard or too expensive and sort of wanted to say, maybe I need to close this chapter? Yeah. Well, I suppose every every Christmas (laughs) I go, oh my God, why am I doing this? Oh, I'm so busy. I can't do it all. And it's the busiest time of the year and ah, la la. But you know, it's all worth it in the end. And I do enjoy it. I, yeah, I just like looking at all the new sort of options I could put out for a new product and I'm talking to my designer about a new label or a new fragrance. I love finding a new fragrance that I love and I will give that to my best friend who has incredible nose and she's like, 
yep, that's a winner or yuck. What? <laughs> no, that's disgusting. So, yeah, no, there's never really been a moment where I've thought, I just want to give this away. I mean, yeah, I do get stressed when it gets really busy. But, yeah, if I can keep it at the manageable level that I'm at where I'm not going to employ someone, it'll keep me happy for a long time if I can just stay at the level I'm at. And that's intentional then. So the growth is there for you, but you're choosing not to lean into that. Yes, it could definitely be bigger. Absolutely. And I see other brands doing that, like putting up a shed and getting employees in and, you know, and you see their product everywhere and the things on the social media and that. But sometimes do look at that and go, oh my God, I couldn't imagine it. I couldn't imagine doing that. I want to have time off. I want to be able to not work past two o'clock in the afternoon or I don't want to work on the weekends and I want to be able to have the summer off and yeah I, I don't want to burn myself out I just physically couldn't do that I mentally couldn't do that that is so admirable I really love that we've talked a lot about business but what we haven't touched on yet that is also in the article is that you were diagnosed as neurodivergent as an adult how did you go about that diagnosis I can't really remember how it came about. I was diagnosed about a bit over a year ago with ADHD and I think I'd been reading about it or I heard a podcast, I think. Actually, two of my old friends from uni had been diagnosed at different times over the last five years and one of them has become a psychologist and when I started thinking about it, I rang her and I said, just a quick question, how did you go about getting diagnosed for ADHD? And she said, oh, you have it for sure. (laughs) And I went, oh, do I? She's like, do you not remember our uni days? And then I started looking into, yeah, the symptoms and things and I thought, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. It's probably why, I mean, I was a good student. I did pretty well at school, but I wasn't very good at being able to sort of stick with things, you know, just short attention spans with uh, jobs or, you know, it's amazing that I actually got a degree. I really don't know how I managed to pull that together, but I've never really worked full time. I uh, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I did struggle a lot with those sorts of things. I mean, there's so many, there's so many other parts to it, but yeah, so I started talking to uh, my GP and uh, there was, I got a diagnosis in December of not last year before, 2022. Yeah, it just explained a lot about how I run my business, how I work. Has that made it easier for you, as you just said, to run your business uh, in terms of the hours and just things like that? Yes, definitely. Um, I have always yeah struggled to be able to function fully um executive function just you know day-to-day normal things were always difficult after say lunchtime and I could never work out why just like my brain was had had enough and I like why do how do people work to five o'clock how do they do that you know and still then they can make dinner and they can you know go to a meeting at night for something I just could never do anything at night and it would just go downhill from about two o'clock so I, you know, just without even realising it before I knew, before I had the diagnosis, I was always going, okay, well, I'm not going to work past two and I'm going to knock off at this time and and that would be it. So they were just the, the hours I put on for myself. 
and yeah, little did I know was there was actually a reason my brain just couldn't function very well after that time. Yeah, I think it's just really great that there's so much more conversation around it. As you said, you might have listened to that on a podcast and and had that idea to start a conversation with your uni friends. I just think, yeah, the more that we talk about these sorts of things and normalize them and I suppose break down that stigma and and maybe as adult women, we are better at that than what we would have been if we're a bit younger. Oh, I think so. I think there is still a, a bit of a stigma around it, but, you know, I think the more people that talk about it openly, because I was a bit thinking, well, do I need to talk about this? But I thought, no, it's, you know, if it helps somebody else who's thinking about it. Uh, Do you have girlfriends that have been diagnosed as well, did you say? Yes, yes, uh, as adults as well. I mean, as you probably know, like girls uh, in inverted commas didn't get ADHD as kids because they're generally more of the inattentive type or the, the good kid who didn't make a you know, a ruckus or it was the naughty boys, you know, racing around throwing chairs or whatever that they focused on. So a lot of the girls slipped through the cracks and, yeah, a lot of my adult friends have discovered, hmm, that's probably what was going on with me. And whenever I mention it to people who know me from a long time ago, they're like, oh, what, I would never have guessed you had ADHD. And I said, oh, I've just spent my life exhausting myself trying to cover up you know, how hard I was trying to concentrate in a conversation to stay engaged and not get distracted. Like I could remember vividly like my whole life just saying inside my head while I was talking to someone, concentrate on what they're saying, concentrate, listen, listen. And then I'd miss half the conversation because I was telling myself so hard to concentrate that I'd missed it and I'd be like, sorry, can you just say that again? I didn't hear any of that. So, yeah, lots of little things that you look back on do make sense as to why you behave that way or yeah those things happened yeah just to wrap us up I know that you've name dropped already Uh, we've had Kate Barclay photography again incredible and we have some of her photography in the magazine and I just do want to shout her out she has been such a wonderful support of Oak especially issue 13 so um, I'm just really grateful to Kate uh, as well as your cousin Rachel and I feel like if someone was to google red tractor design and see it and they're like oh my gosh that's who it is Uh, we've talked about the collective like there are so many little names we've dropped but could you tell me about a friend of yours that we need to know about yes she's my niece and um she has only just sort of started out with a Instagram account. She's an excellent cook and she makes amazing cocktails and her Instagram is Savor the Sunday and she just has this really, because she's young, so she's in her 20s and she has this amazing um, yeah, way of putting together beautiful food and, yeah, her account is great if you check it out and her little recipe is good. I think she also has a newsletter out. But anyway, it's called Savor the Sunday. I was typing that in as you were saying it and it has popped up. She's got some video there. There's actually a really nice recipe that I want to try. Um, But, yeah, she does have a newsletter on Substack. (laughs) Oh, good. There you go. Yeah. Uh, It looks amazing. The photography is really nice. And I can't cook for the life of me. So something like this to give me some inspo, I'm always looking for. So lovely to follow. Now, I am going to jump on your website, find myself a candle. I absolutely love candles that have a really good throw. And I've been looking at some of your scents and just a little different, as you said, to to what mainstream ones there usually are. 
What's your favourite one at the moment? Um, actually, the, the stock is quite low because I'm on holidays at the moment. So stock is a bit low on the website. But um, I've got a new one coming out. When I relaunch, probably mid-Feb, I'll start getting the new ones up on the website. But it's uh, called Sage and Cypress and it's so beautiful. It's like a pine forest kind of smell. Probably my favourite is pepper and cardamom. I don't know if you know Lalabo fragrances, but there's a famous one called Santel 33 and it smells very much like that. And that's one of my favourite perfumes. So, But, yeah, it's peppery and herby. So. But there's always new ones, so I always try and tell people to, yeah, just check back because occasionally I'll just slot a new one in that's become a new fave. Yeah. I love it. Well, I just want to thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast and for giving us an insight into not needing to burn the candle at both ends as a business owner, that you can, you know, create that business and work those hours to what suits you and how you work best. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Kimberly. It was really fun. Now, before you take off with all that inspiration and knowledge, we'd love for you to leave a review on our podcast so that we can continue to amplify women's voices in the media. And if you have any questions, we'd like to celebrate a win. You can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Oak Magazine AU. I'm so glad we've met and that now you know a friend of mine. <laughs>